All right, welcome. Welcome to the Biblos Network. We are so glad you could join us tonight. We have some good information for you this week. We're going to be talking about some good things, and um, I pray things are well. It's been a, a tumultuous week. There's been gas shortages. There's been pipeline attacks. There was an attack on Israel from Hamas. The Iron Dome intercepted missiles. What a striking image that was as Israel defended itself and the UN's involved. And there's a lot of prophetic eschatological things that, that are taking place in the day that we're in. We're seeing big moves by nations and nation states, and, and people are prophetically aware. They're asking questions. They want to know what what is God saying about this hour, what is happening in this hour. So hopefully we can help with some Bible content that can be a blessing to you, can strengthen you, you can talk to your friends and your neighbors, and you can minister to the people that are around you. That is the goal of Biblos. We want you reading your Bible. We want you falling in love with your Bible and propagating that to this next generation. Young people picking up the Word of God, young adults. It's for everybody, but we definitely want this truth to continue on from generation to generation. So we're glad you're here. Um, very quickly, I wanted to mention a few things. We had some questions. We do get your questions. We're excited to get your questions. And um, you can click on a link underneath this video. We can have a, a place where you can contact us. You can text us, and we'll get your questions, and then we will respond to them as best we can. One of them is from Jesse. Jesse asks, what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? in spirit and in truth. Well, that's taken from John chapter 4. The idea of spirit and truth is, is a powerful, powerful concept, and God is looking. The Bible says, the Father seeketh such to worship him. So there are some people that feel that doctrine and truth is irrelevant and that if a person just will get in the spirit, it trumps everything and they can... Just praise God however they feel like praising God. And that's a dangerous thing. That's when you put such an overemphasis on nothing but spirit without any structure, without any uh, knowledge or doctrine behind it. Doctrine matters. It matters. Without doctrine, you can't have the proper channel for the spirit. And then there's people who will focus so heavily on the doctrine side and the truth side that they negate the flow of the spirit. And so they, they love preaching and they love the Word of God, but they won't allow the free flowing of the Holy Ghost. And there is a free flow of the Holy Ghost. The miracles and signs and wonders, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, um, all of those things are works of the Spirit. And so our preaching should be Spirit-filled. Our worship should be Spirit-filled. If you've never been in a Spirit-filled atmosphere that is coupled with the powerful doctrine of the apostles. You don't know what you're missing, and God's looking for that. And I believe that there is a certain sound 
to a biblical worship format, a certain sound that a, a seasoned Bible believer will recognize. And I love that certain sound. It's something that I grew up with. It's something that I, I strive for. And, and done right, people are going to receive the Holy Ghost, they're going to receive the new birth experience, and they're going to be edified and grow in it and develop the fruits of the Spirit. So God's looking for people that put an equal emphasis on both Spirit and truth, the moving of the Holy Ghost and the application of the Word and the doctrine, because without the Word, we have nothing. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will not pass away. So, that is what God's looking for, and that's what it means to worship in spirit and truth, to, to strike the right balance between the supernatural and the application of the Word of God. Um, then we had a, a woman. Her name is Nikki, Sister Nikki. She asked us, what do you tell people that are believers that claim to believe God? How do you talk to them? They, they believe that they're saved. They believe that that they maybe they don't need what the further teaching of the New Testament teaches. Sometimes that's baptism. Sometimes that's receiving the infilling of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> but they're good people. They're believers. They're moral people. They, they are sincere. Well, I just did a session on this um, a week or two ago, I think it was, where um, what, what does it mean to believe? It, are we be saved if we believe? So go back and check that out, Sister Nikki, and that, maybe that'll help you. But but in a in a short um, synopsis, let me say that it's important to know what the Bible says about believing. The Bible's definition of believing is different than the modern definition of believing. So we don't just believe, but we believe as the Scripture hath said. The big difference. The Scripture tells us that our faith is coupled with our works, and they work together in tandem. And by that, faith is made perfect or whole. And that means that without works, it's not whole. It's not entire. It's not complete. So Abraham was justified by works. Rahab was justified by works in James chapter 2. And so there is a, def a definite difference between the Bible's definition of believe and Modern definition, the modern definition of belief. Devils believe. They believe, but they can't be saved. So belief by itself, just a mental confidence and profession is not enough. There has to be accompanying works that go with it. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what I try to tell people. And I try to lead them along. You know, the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. And, and the scripture tells us that out of our belly would flow rivers of living water, which they that believe on him should receive. So that's the Holy Ghost. That's the living water. And if you believe it, you're supposed to get it. So that's what I tell people. Also, one last question. This one was anonymous. Uh, they didn't put a name to it. But the question was, when you go knocking on people's doors, what do you say? What do you, what do you say to them? So anonymous. Um... And I'm going to talk a little bit about door knocking today because I, I do door knock. I did much more when I was younger. But it's a very effective form of ministry, and some people don't agree with that, and I submit that maybe they should realign how they look at it because we have one of our uh, new church plants that we are establishing that in the last couple of weeks we have gotten over 45 homes opened up to us through door knocking. You just got to know where to go. You got to know how to apply it. And you got to have the right approach. 
but it's an amazing opportunity. I have built more than one church on door knocking, and um, it's a great opportunity to communicate and talk with people. But we, I use a Bible survey. Um, I do what I call faith mapping of an area, and once I've done that for a few years, I can tell you where the faith pockets in my city are, with the people that are open to this style of evangelism. I mark it off on a map, and I'll, I'll do a little... Um, 12-question survey that gets an idea of what people believe, and at the end of it, we ask them if they would be interested in learning a little bit more about what the Bible says. And it's an approach we use. We, we keep the results. We, um, I have voluminous amounts of, of data that I've collected from different cities, and um, I faith map the city. We, we get an idea of where faith is, where people are more faith-oriented, and it comes from that approach. So that's what I do. And um, I need to get a link up so that people can access it and they can they can use it. A lot of people have asked me for it. And usually <laughs> I, when I say that online, I get hit with so many emails that I don't have time to respond to them all. I would spend all day long literally trying to get back to them all. And I, uh, I just need to put it out there for the public so that they have access to it. And there's a lot of people, a lot of home missions churches, a lot of foreign missions churches that utilize this and they're they're finding great success. So anyway, that's what I do. That's how I've built churches and and we have found it to be very effective. So let me start out this session today. I want to talk to you about Abrahamic promise. The promises of Abraham or what they call Abrahamic promise. Um Abraham is a central figure. He's a big deal in the scripture. And if you are a Christian, you are from Abraham. If you are a Jew, you are from Abraham. And if you are Islamic, you trace your roots back to Abraham and the Semitic people of the Middle East. Um, Abraham, without him, there is no, there is no faith. He's the father of faithful, the faithful. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and he says, to him, get out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families, families of the earth be blessed. That is the Abrahamic blessing. And the children of Abraham are a blessed people. They are the most powerful people in the world. God basically, in, in Adam and Eve, man falls into sin. In Noah, man falls into sin. These are universal applications of God's word. And in both cases, man fails miserably. So God in Abraham starts over. And Abraham and Sarah become the Adam and Eve uh, reset button. We're going to do it all over again, but this time we're not going to open it up to the whole world. We're going to model the kingdom of God on earth. And Abraham, instead of doing this with everybody, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. And then it's almost like God held them up and said, look what happens when a people follow the word of God. They, are, they will be the blessed people. I'll put my favor upon them. They will follow my word. I will be their God. They will be my people. And Abraham, he institutes the principle of tithing. Uh, when he returns from the slaughter of the kings and his grandsons do this, his son, his grandsons, they tithe. So tithing is part of an Abrahamic 
covenant. It is not a Mosaic covenant. Mosaic is a fancy word that means from Moses. So a lot of people think tithing is just under the law, but tithing actually predated the law, and it's under Abraham. So this idea of tithing comes in and, and how that God will bless you, and he will open up the windows of heaven over you if you will honor him and, and trust in him. What I want to point out to you is that is a very relevant truth today. And you can build a church. You should build a church with Abrahamic promise. Because the promise of Abraham is that I will take you and make of you a great nation. And you will be, you will be a blessing. Not that just you will just bless, but that you will be a blessing. So a big part of the Abrahamic promise is being. So I think it's a, an important thing for people to not just focus on behavior and striving to act like a Christian. Don't just act like a Christian. Be a Christian. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. So we don't just witness. We are. We, we become a witness. And that's a lot more than just saying, hey, you know, can I tell you about the Bible? Hey, will you come to my church? People think that, that we get the Holy Ghost and we're going to go out and it's going to give us somehow this energy or this strength to witness. But the truth is, he gives you power to be a witness. That means to your waitress at the restaurant. That means to your friends and your family, to your husband or your wife. Those people should respect you and love you because you are working on becoming. You're being. You're becoming the fullest sense of a human being. And if you'll work on that being, people will gather around you. The blessing of God will come upon you. Your family will come to you. You'll become a person that has answers. You'll become a person that it is obvious that the blessing of God is upon you. And you won't have to beg people to listen to you. They will be drawn to you magnetically, spiritually, because of being. So you will be a blessing. And there's this concept in Abraham's life, and it's true of all people of faith, that God works through. He works through this idea, and the idea is that of gradualism. God works through gradualism. And let me explain what I mean by that. God's pattern is that one will turn into many. The... the the phrase, the Lord of hosts, which in the New Testament is translated the Lord of Sabaoth, that idea, the Lord of hosts means God of many, but it also means God who takes the few and makes them many. So it doesn't just contain the idea that he has his, the God of great hosts and great numbers, but that he is the God of expansion and gradually growing and growing and growing. And this is true of Adam and Eve. He creates a man, he creates a woman, he puts them in a garden, and they take dominion, and they are to go out and populate the earth. With Noah, same thing. He starts off with this one family, and they are to go out and repopulate the earth. Abraham, you are to go, I'll make of thee a great nation. Um, when Joshua comes into the land of, of Canaan, and he conquers Jericho, they then encompass that promised land, they take dominion in that promised land, and God blesses them. And they increase. And when David comes to fight Goliath, 
he, he comes to Goliath and says, I will defeat you in the name of the Lord of hosts. So what that meant was Goliath was standing in the way of the expansion. Goliath was hindering the progress of the kingdom by defying them in the valley of Elah. And so David comes, and, and while everybody's hiding, he said, is there not a cause? There is a cause. Stop hiding behind your throne, Saul. Stop hiding behind the rocks and the trees. Let's go out and defeat this Philistine. God gave him strength, and the Lord of Sabaoth worked with him. So Goliath did not fall because David was powerful or because of magic of some kind or just some generic blessing, but he literally stood in the way of the further expansion of God's people. And there is a cause, and it is the Abrahamic cause. And if you will latch on to that idea, God will bless you just like he did David. He'll bless you. He'll bless those that bless you, and he will curse those that curse you. Well, that's an amazing thing because you don't have to fight your enemies. Have you ever heard that phrase, the battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's? A lot of folks operate on, no, the battle's mine, <laughs> and I'm going to fight my enemies, and I'm going to holler at them, and I'm going to cuss them, and I'm going I'm to straighten them out, and I'm going to fix everybody. They better not tell me because I'll give them a piece of my mind. Well, that's actually why Abigail came to David when he was going to go kill Nabal because David was making making a mistake. He was stepping off God's battlefield and going to personal uh, settle a personal score, a personal vendetta against Nabal, which we, which means fool. Nobody would have blamed him. Nabal did do something terrible to David. Um, it's terrible what he did, but Abigail said, "Don't do this." My Lord fights the Lord's battles. So keep doing what you're doing. When you come to your throne, you don't want this to be a, a stain on your reputation. You don't want it to be said that you lowered yourself to get down in the mud with some guy in some local battle and fight some personal vendetta. You're fighting the Philistines. You're, you're, you're conquering God's enemies. You're establishing a wonderful kingdom. And, and everybody knows you're going to be the king of Israel. So don't come down off that high perch of the purpose of God. God will handle the Nabals of the world. And I found that to be true. I have had people who have hurt me in my walk with God. They have um, betrayed me. They have uh, stabbed me in the back. And I'm sure you have found that to be true. You know, life is tough. And, and you've got circumstances that you have to endure and go through. And he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. But, but every time I deviated into fighting people or justifying myself or fixing the, the narrative, it never worked. And I found what is true is that if I'll just get busy doing what God's doing, God will take care of all the rest. And if a person blesses a son of Abraham, God will bless that person. If a person curses a son of Abraham, God will curse that person. So here's a little tip for you. When your enemies talk bad about you, instead of straightening them all out, go teach a Bible study. Go knock on doors. Go get people to come to church. If you'll fight the Lord's battles, God will handle every Nabal, every Goliath, every Sanballat and Tobiah, every Haman, every one. God will deal with them, and it'll all come out in the wash. And God knows how to do it a lot better than I do or you do. So do good, bless your neighbor, uh, 
encourage them, and, and God will work through you. Be a blessing. Be honest. Be responsible. Work hard. Um, trust in the Lord and, and, and believe God and, and be a person of faith, and that will make you of Abraham. So just a little something there for you. But let, let's talk a little bit about this starting from one and going to many. One place God said, I did not choose you because you were the most, but I chose you because you were the least. And this idea of gradualism, you can even see it in nature. You see it when one seed will grow and sprout into a great tree, and and then that tree will bear many, many seeds, which will fall to the ground, and they will then grow, and they will all bear many seeds, until finally there's a forest given enough time. That's gradualism. That's God's plan. Um, the Bible says of, of the kingdom of God that a stone was hewn out of the mountain without hands, and it struck the image that Daniel saw, um, that that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed, and it, it destroyed the image. The kingdoms of men and the kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of God, the kingdom of his Christ. And, and Daniel's vision, that stone that came from the mountain grew and grew and grew until it became a mountain. It filled the whole earth. So that's gradualism. It just grows and grows and grows until it becomes overwhelming. So that's God's plan for our life. It's, it's God's plan for your life. So it's got to start somewhere, and I think it was um, I think it was Zerubbabel who made the statement, if I'm not mistaken, my memory's a little fuzzy on it, that we are not to despise the day of small things. And the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, that though it's the least of the seeds, it becomes the greatest of herbs. The fowls of the tree lodge in the branches of it. Faith starts small and it grows big. And so I saw this. I saw this in my walk with God um, when I planted churches. I planted a church in Fort Myers, Florida. I planted a church in uh, Roatan, Honduras. We worked hard to plant those churches, and today they're flourishing. They are wonderful churches. Precious men of God pastor them. They're doing a good job, and, and they are so blessed in what they do. What, what a wonderful uh, blessing to, to watch God work in that set of circumstances. But I want to talk about the first days. The first days, it was very small. It wasn't glamorous. It was, it's so humble and it's so out of the limelight that it can be embarrassing if you have an ego. It, it, you know, anybody that's been in a home mission setting, you know how, how simple it is and how humble it is. I, the first Bible study I got was a single mother. She uh, ha- had a condition, a medical condition that she really struggled with. She had a newborn child. She she lived on welfare and public assistance. And at first she didn't want to listen to me. She didn't want to listen to me. But I was knocking on doors. I was doing my little Bible survey. And I was faith mapping that region. And I could feel her faith. So I thought, I'm going to come back and talk to her one day. And I did. And she let me come in and talk to her. It was my it was my first Bible study, and it, they weren't wealthy, they weren't powerful. They lived in a very humble house. It was in a, a rougher area of town. And and I'll tell you this: there is something to that. When I when I knock on doors, I don't go to wealthy areas. I don't go to even middle class areas. I go to areas where people have hunger and they have need. 
And so I like to go to places where people are open, where they're not going to be offended. And Jesus said that the whole have no need of a physician. In one place, he said, how hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So a lot of people try to door knock in gated communities or wealthy areas. I like to go to challenged areas. I like to go to areas where um, they're not going to call uh, the cops on you. You might have to call the cops on them. <laughs> um, it, it's it, I have found that that people that are willing to talk and communicate, people that are challenged, people that are experiencing great adversity, they are open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is a great place to get Bible studies. Um, so many people want to go to the powerful, the wealthy, the doctor, the lawyer. And that doesn't mean that those people can't receive God. It doesn't mean that they aren't open ever. But it does mean that it's far more rare. Um, I can remember the stories of my grandfather's church, Calvary Tabernacle, in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's a powerful church. It's a it's a very blessed church with people that are very educated, and they've, they've enjoyed great blessing from God. But that's today. And there was a time back in the early 1900s when Calvary Tabernacle was, was largely being started and founded by immigrants, very poor people, very lowly people, praying people. They weren't educated. They weren't powerful. They weren't wealthy. They just came together and believed God in humility, and they worshiped God with all that they had. And there was a second generation and a third generation, fourth, fifth, sixth. There's, there's probably even seven generation uh, people that attend that church. And, and that's Abrahamic promise. There's a redemptive lift where each generation stands on the shoulders of the person uh, before them. And that's how it's supposed to work. And I did a, a, a session uh, on how there can be generational decay if you're not careful. But if each generation will get back a hold of God, they will find that they're not wrestling through addictions, they're not wrestling through a criminal legacy, they're not wrestling with sin and and things that preceding generations have overcome, and they can rise. They can become educated. They can become owners. The Bible says that God would make us the head and not the tail. And so there is a, I mean, you can become a homeowner. You can then pass that on to your children. And for the first time, you could have an inheritance. Well, when you're in sin and you're living hand to mouth and, and you're in and out of jail and you're promiscuous and you have children with uh, you know, multiple, multiple different people and you're divorced multiple times, those are all results of sin. And, and uh, it's not to disparage anybody or to speak down to anybody. It's just sin, and I'm, God hates sin, and I hate sin because it destroys families and it destroys the, the blessing of the Lord. But if a man and a woman will, will commit themselves and, and put God first as their priority, they will protect children, grandchildren will be raised up, great-grandchildren, and there will be a, an accumulated power and blessing and wealth and increase and love and family. That my Family is a heritage from the Lord, and... And that is Abrahamic promise. And so now, churches that have been established, established for many years that have avoided compromise, that have avoided worldliness and secularism, they are enjoying powerful generational blessing. And what an, what an honor to have that. Um, so you start small. I can remember starting with people who were very lowly, very humble, 
Many times they were immigrants. Sometimes they were single mothers. Um, or, or they were young men who did not have fathers. And the Bible says this. It says that pure religion and undefiled is visiting the widow and the fatherless in their affliction. So God goes to people in which the, the bonds of society have let go. The, the bands, the familial bands, the, 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 the power of a father, the power of a mother, a grandfather, a grandmother. They, they've been severed for various reasons. And back then, it could be because of death. It could be because of tragedy. It could be because of war or, or something like that. Today, it's usually because of sin and promiscuity. And uh, it can be tragedy and things of that nature. But, but whenever the family falls apart, the bands have let go and people are set adrift. The body's not functioning the way that it should. And that's actually the etymology of the word religion. It's re, which means again. And ligi, which is the word we get ligament from, to re-ligament. That's what religion means. It's to put back the spiritual structures, the societal and familial structures. That's what pure religion is. And so it takes a boy and it gives him a father. It takes a girl and it gives her a father. It takes a woman and, and she is able to come into a familial atmosphere. She's not alone anymore. It takes a man, and it puts him into a community. The Bible says that he takes the, uh, the fatherless, and he puts them into a family. He takes those that are alone. He puts them in a family. What a blessing. Uh, and that's part of Abrahamic promise. And, and, and Satan's big goal is to destroy families and destroy fathers and mothers and to mock them and, and to try to tear them to pieces and redefine what they are. But it is a man, it is a woman, and it is pure religion. So we would find people that needed help. The Old Testament was full of commands to, to remember the stranger because you were once a stranger in a strange land. And so we, we dealt with immigrants from other countries that needed help. We dealt with um, people who didn't have families, didn't have moms or dads or husbands or wives, people that we're struggling, and, the, and, and I just began to teach them and work with them. If you want to find um, someone that needs God, go to those that are hurting. Go to neighborhoods where they're more challenged, they're many times more ethnic, and, and um, I like to knock on the doors, do a Bible survey, and I would come away many times. I'd knock 100 doors in a day, um, and my goal was to knock 100 doors a day, five days a week which is 500 doors, and, and then my goal was 2,000 doors a month. And if I could do that, then I, I knew I would get Bible studies, and I did. Uh, many times I'd knock 100 doors, I'd come away with five Bible studies or 10, sometimes as many as 20. And out of those 10 to 15 or 20, I would find that maybe five or six, seven would pan out. And then out of those, over time, I would act, it would weed down to two or three that would actually get the Holy Ghost and get baptized. And then when I got into the homes, um, I could meet with them. The Bible says this, when you come to a home, let your peace come upon that home. My favorite part of ministry was going into someone's home and sitting down with a person and meeting the family, meeting the relatives, meeting the uncle, the aunt, the, the, the spouse, 
and your peace comes upon that home, the joy of the Lord, the Abrahamic blessing, the blessing that's on you comes upon them. And there'd be a peace that would come on there as you talk about the good things of God. And as the Bible study goes, the Holy Ghost would start swirling in that room and they could feel that Holy Ghost. And, and the word of life would begin to penetrate down into their heart. Well, eventually they would come to church and they would feel the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost. And after you do that for five years, 10 years, hundreds of people come to God and, and they, they begin to be discipled into a fuller Christian walk. That's Abrahamic blessing where God takes one who becomes a few who then becomes more and more, and then finally it's many. When, when Israel went into Egypt, by the time they came out of Egypt hundreds of years later, they were millions. And so I believe that's how it's supposed to work with the kingdom of God. It starts so small and so um, humble, so um, nondescript, and then it becomes this great, wonderful thing. Um. So let's talk about the person, the individual that you're winning to the Lord. Um, if you win somebody to God through home Bible study, through teaching the Word of God, through sharing the Word of the Lord with them, and they love it, they, they grow in grace and knowledge, they, they embrace the Word of God, God will take that sinful life, they will turn from that sin, they'll begin to live for God and follow His commandments, and the Abrahamic blessing will come upon them. And it's subtle at first. A, a seedling is very weak at first, but the potential of the entire forest is in that seedling. So despise not the day of small things. Once that's established, the person then begins to turn from sin. They stop hanging out. They stop smoking addictive things. They stop drinking and, and carousing. They stop um, living in promiscuity. They begin to develop a wholesomeness, a, a dedication, a consecration to the Lord. Then they meet other like-minded people as they begin to set the parameters of the gospel in their life and in their heart. They begin to talk different, make different choices, hang around different friends. They begin to dress different as they realize that modesty is a part of the kingdom of God. And so now you're not dressing sensuously or provocatively or in vanity, but you are modest before the Lord your, your body becomes the temple of God, and you consecrate yourself to him. Well, all of that, it turns into responsibility. It turns into integrity. It turns into faithfulness. You know how rare those commodities are in this world today? If you're an employee and you're faithful and you're honest, man, your boss will promote you. If you're intuitive and and you're sensitive and you 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 let the gifts of the Spirit work through you, you'll become a modern-day Joseph. Joseph is a perfect example of what Abrahamic blessing does. It doesn't matter if you are in Potiphar's house or if you are in the prison or if you are in the, the, the land of Egypt. You will rise to the top in everything you do because you can't beat honesty. You can't beat responsibility, and you can't overcome integrity. They win all the time. Um, and then if you throw the joy of the Lord on top of that, that through any slanderous attack, any temptation, you're just praising God and, and strengthening people and helping people. Well, the blessing will continue to accrue. And the Bible says, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. You'll outclass everybody around you. You'll become the Mordecai. You'll become the Esther. You'll become the Joseph. You'll become the Nehemiah. 
of your day. You'll become the Peter, James, and John of your atmosphere. And if you're doing this right and the blessing is upon you, the multitudes will come to you. People will realize you're honest. They'll realize that you won't stab them in the back. They'll realize that you have their best interest at heart, that you truly care. And the love of God will shine through in your heart and you can help people and strengthen people and encourage people. That's Abrahamic blessing. Well, what that does is that's a light that begins to shine. That becomes the city set on a hill. That becomes the light that you put on the candle, that you then put on the candlestick that provides light in the darkness that Jesus talked about. Now, what that means is you're not having illegitimate children because you are saving yourself for a spouse. Then you meet that spouse and you honor them and you love them and you cherish them and a baby's born in wedlock. Then, as both spouses pray and seek after God, God begins to bless them. As they center their life around worship and around the church and around the things of God, then God will bless them at their jobs. As they, as they absorb the biblical principles that made Abraham great, they will make you great. They will make me great. Honesty works. Dependability works. Self-awareness works. Faith works. Joy, love, peace, it all works. And so you become a walking microcosm, an ecosystem of blessing on your job, with your family. Your family that doesn't know God, your friends that don't know God, they should know where to go when, when the chips are down, when they need help. They should know who really prays, who really cares for them. And if you'll develop discretion and you'll develop empathy and and true compassion oh there's a reason why the multitudes ran to Jesus that they they chased him it'll get to the point where you can't even rest because people will long to be in your presence and it's not them being around you it's the god in you it's 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 the presence of god that you bring when you come so we should never be self-righteous. We should never be condescending. We should never be about our outward adornment and our ornamentation. And look at me, look at me, look how much money I have. Look how much better I am than everybody. If that's your outtake and that's what you're, that's what you're getting from your Christian walk with God, you need to reevaluate and recalibrate because it really is about glorifying God. Um, this Abrahamic blessing will accrue. And as you don't go to jail and you aren't addicted and your children are growing up and they are disciplined and they are fathered and mothered and they're nurtured, then you'll be different than your family. And they may reject you initially, but as they watch the blessing of the Lord blossom, <clears throat> your children aren't running the streets at night. Um, you are in tune with your children. You're in tune with one another. You're in And most of all, you're in tune with God. Um, on Friday night, you're going to a youth activity instead of to a club. Um, you're at church on Sunday. You're at church at the midweek. You're learning. You're growing in grace and knowledge. You're working hard on your job. Or maybe you're starting a job uh, or starting a business, rather. As these things happen, the blessing accrues. Now, I believe that people should engage in entrepreneurship and dominion. I think they should learn financial principles and stewardship. And they should become investors they should learn the power of principal and interest and compounding interest. Um, I'm a fan of people becoming owners of multiple homes. I just believe God has all manner of blessing in store for his people. Abraham was blessed. He became a wealthy man. 
uh, so the spiritual blessing that's inside of you will translate into a, a natural blessing. It doesn't mean you have to have all the money in the world, but it does mean that you will affect positively everything you do as God gives you grace. Um, well, I watched as, first of all, family members thought that their, their relatives that were coming to church were in a cult <laughs> because they started dressing modestly and because they, they became too nice. They thought that we brainwashed them. We didn't brainwash them. They were learning the principles of God. Well, then as time goes on, they work their job. Their employers love them. They're dependable. They get promoted. They make more money. Their credit scores go up because they're becoming stewards of the things of God. Well, then a person becomes an owner instead of a renter. They learn what a mortgage is. They, they get a down payment. They become a homeowner. Well, man, when you're coming up out of sin and you're coming up out of chaos, if you become a homeowner, what a blessing. Now you become, you learn the principles of real estate. Well, I know, I knew of young adults that became the first owner ever in their family. Some of them were the first person to graduate high school. They went on to get an associate's degree. We, I remember early on in Fort Myers, we started counseling with many of our young ladies to become nurses. And so many of them got into a nursing program at a local college and they would get their CNA and then they'd move on up to RN. And many of them went on to master's degrees. And I think some of them pursued, have pursued doctorates in different fields. And these are people that came from very challenging circumstances. God blessed them and blessed them and blessed them. Fast forward 10 years, 20 years, they are so far ahead of everybody that told them they needed a party, they needed to chase men, they needed to chase women, they needed to come out to the club with them. Instead of all of that garbage, the Lord blesses them exponentially. And now the family finds out, wait a minute, these people, good things are happening. Their finances are in order. They're, they're married. They're, they're having kids. And they're, they're being blessed in what they're doing. Strong in the doctrine. Strong in, in worship and living for God. That's all Abrahamic blessing. Well, that is a better witness than any door knocking could ever be. When you begin to show the blessing of the Lord, when you become a blessing, you bless those that are around you and the Lord will bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. That's an interesting point because when you're doing that and you give your life to that and someone fights you and hates you and strikes at you, they're not striking at you. They're striking at God. And I noticed that there would be bad things that happen to people that would strike at God's people. If you don't retaliate, you give way to them, you, you don't, you don't, get down in the mud with them and, and fight with them, but you just bless those that curse you. And, and if they, if they have evil to say of you, then you just, you let God handle it. You don't do it yourself. God deals with them in a way that you or I never could. And God will curse those that curse you. I don't say that wishing that because I, I want everybody to go to heaven. I want everybody to, I don't want anybody to go to hell. I want them to be, blessed. I want them to be, to prosper. It's so needless to throw a life away or to, or to get involved in sin. And, and then the curse of sin comes upon you. So what, what, a, what an opportunity to step into an Abrahamic promise into a man that had faith in God, who staggered not at the promises of God. And he rose. Well, when you take that person 
who has risen up from their family, risen up from their kin and their nation. They have transcended all the chaos that's around them. And there's a lot of chaos. You can, you can, oh man, I, I remember watching young men who would start to rise. Young ladies would be attracted to him and that would be a temptation. Those young ladies thought, hey, here's a, a nice young man. He's clean cut. He's got a good job. Let me throw myself at him. And so there would be young ladies from the community that would throw themselves. And some of the young men didn't make it. They, they, they fell to that. But if you'll, if you'll stay the course, if you'll be strong in God and you say, no, no, that's not the way God's kingdom works. I'm waiting on a woman that will be faithful to God, that will serve God, that will raise children, that loves the Lord as much as I do. And you enter into an equal yoke. Well, that's the concept of the yoke. Then you can plow a straight line. We weren't to be unequal yoked, a, a donkey with an oxen. You won't plow straight. Well, I want to plow straight in my life. I want my life to be straight. I want my, my family to be straight. I don't want to fuss and fight with my wife over whether the kids are going to go to church or whether they're going to dress modestly or whether they're going to follow the principles of the kingdom. And if that's a fight every week, it's usually because it's an unequal yoke. And the Abrahamic promise said, don't do that. If, you will, if you'll stay the course and, and you'll marry within the confines of the Abrahamic promise, You'll plow a straight furrow. You'll plant your seed, and you will reap that seed. So I don't believe there's any greater testimony than that. When someone becomes an owner, when they become blessed financially, those are obvious external things that are indicators of a greater spiritual inward transformation. They're kind to people. They're gracious. They're patient. They are joyous. They put God as a priority. All of that comes from Abraham. And when that happens, there's a gravity. Man, you put a young man that comes out of that and you bless him like that, or a young lady, you bless her, their family will flock to them. Their community will flock to them. They'll say, hey, did you see him? Did you see her? I'll never forget when I was young, um, my wife, Sister Urshan, and myself, we would walk into a restaurant and we'd have little Joseph and Ben's with us. And we'd come walking in and we'd be dressed for Sunday church and it'd be after service. We'd come walking in to First Watch in downtown Fort Myers. It was my favorite little restaurant. We'd go there after service and uh, the wait staff knew me there. They were precious people. It was a beautiful place. And I would watch the older couples that were there and they would just they'd watch us walk by and some of the people would smile and they'd look at the boys and they'd see my wife and, and I was dressed for church there was a time when most people did that and it was such an anomaly to see it now it was so rare to see it now to see an actual father an actual mother together and children and to be dressed for church and it was obvious that we just came from church and there was a smile, a fondness on the older generation's face. And you got the impression that they didn't see it much in the younger generation anymore. I think that's sad. I think, I think you lose something special and something sacred when you degenerate into this modern ethos that's gripped this world. And, and when you have family and friends who see that blessing, they see the favor of God on you. It no longer becomes, would you please come to church? Could I? Would you ever let me teach you? They come. They run to you. Whatever you're doing, could you please tell me? 
it, the way the way evangelism should work is not only are we saying it, but now we're living it, and you'll see the fruit. And here's what the Bible says: when when the when the spies got into the promised land, they brought back fruit so heavy, and so lush and verdant that it took two spies to carry one cluster of grapes. And I think that's how our life should be. I think that the fruit should weigh us down, that when we bring the fruit back to those who we love and say, hey, look, there's a land of blessing and promise and favor over here, their eyes should bug out and they see that fruit and they go, oh my goodness, where'd you get that from? Well, it's right over here. If you'll come over here, you'll find the blessing too. Well, that's how it is today. It's not a geographical area. It's a spiritual area that your marriage the fruit should be heavy laden on the branches. Your, your children, the fruit should be heavy laden. That your, your behavior, your friends, your business, it should all testify, and you, you will be a witness. Witnessing isn't something you do. It's something you are. That is Abrahamic, Abrahamic blessing, and, and you'll literally change the world around you. You'll change the world around you. And that's, that's God's promise, that God will give you the land if you will operate in that fashion. So the kingdom of God comes into the world, and, and the patch of ground that you're on should grow greener and greener and spread and spread and spread. And that's the Lord of Sabaoth. That's the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord that takes the few and turns them into the many, and he is the Lord of the many. And everybody that comes to the enemies of God in the name of the Lord of hosts, God will smite those enemies and he will deal with them, whether they be principalities or whether they be um, foes of some kind that are against the things of God. And God will give you victory, not because you're great, because God's great and he's got a wonderful purpose for the earth. So that's Abrahamic blessing. I pray that you will allow God to do it in your life. I pray that it produces genuine kindness and true compassion, what the Bible calls unfeigned love, and and everybody sees that, and it becomes evident. So, praise God. I, I thank you for taking the time to, to spend it with us today. I hope this is a blessing to you. We have some great stuff coming up. Um, I won't tip my hand just yet, or show my hand, tip my hat, however you say that, but we have some wonderful sessions coming up with some great guests, and I look forward to seeing you here in the next couple of weeks. God bless you. We'll see you next time.